strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight I'm going to tell you a story right out of a George Orwell novel. Ooh. So I have a hard time exactly saying like a name for what I'm going to talk about. Because uh, it's really more of an idea, sort of a fear. I, I, you, know, a, you don't have a title? I'm a little I'm a I little know. It's, it's really, it's more like a panic. Okay, cool. Okay. So it's like a panic that was very palpable during the Cold War. And this is based on true events that happened to unknowing participants in many parts of the world. I'm going to call this the story of the battle for mind control. Uh, okay. Okay. I mean, this you is... went from nothing to a really good fucking title. Okay. <sighs> I had to talk the, myself into it. The battle of mind control? Battle for mind control. And it's, and it's control a panic? Of minds. Right. So it's a panic of people wondering if their mind was going to be controlled by something? So let me just tell the story. That makes sense? Okay. It'd probably just be easier for me to just start yeah, talking sure, about yeah. it. Okay. So imagine it is 1956. There's a new mother struggling, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like the darkness is closing in on her. She has postpartum depression. Of course, she has a new baby. She wants to do the right thing for herself, for her family. Wanting the best treatment, she found a renowned physician who was known to work wonders with those who suffered from depression and mental illness. This was Dr. Ewan Cameron of the Allen Memorial Institute of Montreal. Little did they know just how life-altering the treatments she would receive would end up being. Their hopes and dreams of feeling better, connected, and happy were dashed by a man whose primary goal was to determine not how to cure the mind, but how to control it. So this is going to seem like a little bit of a jump, because it is. So that's sort of like the heart of the story. And now I'm going to jump into... The meat. The meat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect the dots, I swear. So remember, this is post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Communism has taken hold of a vast portion of the world. China, Russia, Korea, and Cuba are all firmly and staunchly communist at this time. How crazy the world was then. I mean, it's crazy now, but... This concept is truly difficult for Americans to understand at the time. They don't quite understand why people are just changing. It seems incredibly confusing to them. During the Korean War, many American troops were being killed and captured by the thousands. The communist panic continued to sweep until it was part of everyday culture and the idea of fighting communists and that we must be afraid of communists is splashed on every screen, newspaper, and novel. Meanwhile, the highest ranks of the military and government had their own panic to deal with. They were terrified that China's communists had learned how to penetrate and control the minds of American prisoners of war. They were worried that upon return, these soldiers would still be under the control of their captors. So there was a fear that these soldiers could have been turned and that they could still be spying for their communist captures after their return home. It did not help that many of these men came home very different 
than they were when they had left. And I mean, I think we can... That's normal anyway. Right. We can think of a variety of reasons, right? I can think of a, a whole list. That is just the You've been held of prisoner of, of war. You've seen yeah. death. You've committed murders. And not even prisoners of war, but just just regular military. Exactly. But this is before a time when people really understood post-traumatic stress disorder or even thought that was something that you know, was an issue. So, of course, they came home different, right? Uh, absolutely. Of absolutely. After the things they've seen and the experiences that they've had, they're not going to be the same happy, like, Joe neighbor, you know? Right. And, I mean, they also came back, I think, with a new worldview. Like, they had seen the way a lot of other people lived, and probably had a different appreciation for their own lives as well as the lives of those around them. But that could have been viewed as communist at the time, right? Well, yeah. Oh, I, you know, this happened. Oh, my God, it's the worst day of my life. And they're like, really? Yeah. Really? You have a flat tire and that's the worst thing. Like of your cry life? me a fucking river. Yeah. So this is the height of the Cold War. It's really setting in. And there is very much the idea amongst Americans that these governments must be in possession of some sort of a mind control device if they're able to turn millions of their citizens from being regular, quote unquote, to communist seemingly overnight. Well, what would you consider communist? Like, uh, I mean, so here's the thing. It's not like you, like you, you did the so, research. So like, what would you think? Right. So if you saw somebody come back, what would you think? So the idea be? of collectivization being like, hey, uh, we'll all put money in for this might have been seen as a communist, like a group fund for something, something that simple could have been seen as communist. But I think that the thing that really disturbed Americans was that, hey, you know, five years ago, China wasn't communist. Now they are. Cuba wasn't communist. Now yeah, they, they are. are. Yeah. Why are the people so okay with this? Because from the outside, Americans looking in, we didn't understand what was actually happening. We didn't see that it was all happening really by force. It wasn't this happy-go-lucky, you know, kumbaya fucking around the fire. Yeah, no, we Let's didn't all have share the a technology fucking that we have now that we can actually exactly. see. It. Yeah. Like people weren't like, "Oh, let's share everything. It'd be great." They they were forced, right? Mm -hmm. And they weren't allowed to have other opinions. So from the outside us, America looking in, we were like, "Holy shit, how did that government just Snap. Well, make their people communist. They had no choice. But we For, didn't know. We didn't know. You we, know had, we had no idea. The 1950s. We had no fucking idea. Exactly. For an American getting their first television set. It's like the internet didn't happen until like the fucking late 90s. So it's like, right. how the hell are we going to learn anything? So that idea that those governments must have had some way to change the minds of their citizens really, really set into America. Really like it's an idea that grew roots oh and trees and forests. And therefore it was not a big leap to believe that this weapon 
could also be used against Americans, that somehow the communists would just show up one day on the shores of New Jersey and set off their mind control like laser ray and have you be a communist tomorrow. But that's kind of, but that's... Good, good luck to you, sir. <laughs> good luck. Go ahead. Enjoy neuroticism. <laughs> it's here for the taken. It's ready. I don't want any of this. <laughs> I know. I have so many things I'm willing to give. But yeah, so this is kind of where people are. You know, they're thinking. I know. I know. They're horribly afraid. The panic. The panic of mind control. Exactly. I get it now. So this led to a fear that this enemy would come, take over, kill Americans, both at home and abroad. I don't do you actually think that they would kill Americans. I think that they would take us over and use us for But if you were strong enough to fight the weapon, they would kill you. I think this is just sort of the fear. No, right. No, yeah. I'm 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 just thinking that. Imagine if they did hit the shores of New Jersey and they did mind control us. I don't know if they would kill us. They would use us because we t- we tough broads. That'd be fun. I think so. Anyway, I have a lot of skills. I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> I am a jack of all trades, master of none. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, great at crafting and light woodworking. <laughs> and a little bit of nursing. I'm some light medical exam. I'm of heights. I can, I can climb a ladder. You are very good at climbing a ladder. As high as you want. Okay. This technique or idea of mind control became known as brainwashing. Brainwashing was an idea named by Edward Hunter, a reporter who had covered previous wars and worked for the Office of Strategic Services, which was the forerunner to the Central Intelligence Agency. CIA. During World War II. <laughs> the CIA. CIA. Do you know where I'm going with this yet, Robin? Uh, no. Okay. I like that. Yay. Okay. The Korean War had just begun in 1950 when the Miami News published his article brainwashing tactics forced Chinese into ranks of Communist Party. So he put out this article that basically said like, oh, so the Chinese yesterday weren't communist. And now they've come up with a brainwashing technique that is making them all communist. So this really fueled the fires. He wrote articles detailing how he believed this activity could be accomplished. He claimed that communists must have specialists who utilize drugs and hypnotism to conquer foreign lands, and that the ultimate goal was the United States. He warned that this brainwashing would make unwitting Americans puppets for the Kremlin. Good luck, sir. Good <laughs> luck. Good luck to you, sir. This led to even more widespread fear. Fear of brainwashing and a new breed of brain warfare terrified and fascinated the American public throughout the 1950s. This was further instigated by the stories of brainwashed GIs returning from China, Korea, and the Soviet Union. You know, yeah, so so it, that is... It's a very... Thing. And it's being splashed yeah. everywhere. This is what people are hearing. This is what people are seeing. That someone's going to basically come and control you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. I mean, these days we're afraid of our computer c- cameras and Alexa 
And back Those then, people should be. <laughs> I know. I the know. Government's you've, listening. You've made. We we all get our targeted advertising. We all know that if you talk about mod cloth, you will get a mod cloth advertisement. Okay. Newspaper headlines like "New Evils Seen in Brainwashing" and "Brainwashing versus Western Psychiatry." offered sensational accounts of new mind control techniques and technologies that no man could fully resist. Basically that you couldn't resist these types of mind control. Not that they were super sexy. Right. I, I think I maybe said that in a weird way. No, 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 you're fine. i to figure it out. And now I'm like... The paranoia began to drift into American culture. With books like The Manchurian Candidate, and The Naked Lunch, playing on themes of unhinged scientists and vast political conspiracies. Also, the idea of brainwashing was comforting for many Americans. What, because of what I said earlier? I'm like, yes, please, take over my head. Please. No. The idea is... (laughs) (laughs) So, no. Please, take take it over. The idea is comforting because they believe, well, if these people are being brainwashed, then communism is really definitely very, very bad. And it very easily assigns the identity of an evil entity to communism. If they're using mind control to take over these people, then that makes sense. It explains communism's swift rise. No, because we're just thinking about how, like, we would like to go to sleep for a little while. Yes. (laughs) And let someone else drive the ship. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Please. Please (laughs) take my child to daycare. Oh, Um, my God. Please, I don't want to do math in my head anymore. Ugh, never again. I never want to carry the one again. So the idea is that if Soviets are actually using brainwashing, Mm -hmm. not just against enemy combatants, but against their own citizens, that they would definitely be a threat to American freedom. And this idea of Soviet mind control became a dividing line, as stark as the Iron Curtain. So the idea that a government would take over its own citizens, this this became the idea like, well, Soviets aren't really communist, right? Their government's controlling them to make them communist. So Mm -hmm. they're actually, they're victims. They have no choice. It's our way, the highway to them. It's just like, okay, well. well, So we understand that from our historic perspective. Mm -hmm. So we have to really time machine to understand like 1950 what they were going through got it so so at the end of the day this thought was so pervasive that the united states felt they had to act this was to save lives the lives and minds and ideals of the american people you know i'm I'm feeling really stupid right now because i have actually no idea what the fuck you're talking about i'm gonna get there it's really soon actually it's like three sentences away i'm gonna be so mad You won't be, probably. But anyway, so the government felt that it was totally necessary that they could not lag behind the Russians and Chinese in the battle to control minds. And so the CIA turned to drugs, hypnotism, and advanced interrogation techniques to control a person's mind. They would use the experiments to study the effects and dangers of mind control. The project was called... MK Ultra. Oh, I was close. Now, I am sure you've heard of that term for a ton of reasons. One which you just said. L- LSD. The LSD experiments. But that is not the entirety of it. I was I was so close. Nor will I cover the the breadth 
oh, no, of, of this topic. No. But I am going to give you sort of a... There's just so much stuff on it. I mean, you... you I've would, only given you the background. Yeah. And, that, and that's fine. Because that's, page four that's of already a lot. Yes. Yeah. So, in the late 1940s, the CIA received reports that the Soviet Union had engaged in efforts to produce LSD. The U.S. was terrified of what the Soviet Union might be doing with this drug. With the advent of MKUltra, the government's interest in LSD shifted from a defensive to an offensive orientation. Agency officials noted that LSD could be potentially useful in gaining control of a person's body, whether they were willing or not. So, a date rape drug, basically? So, they're looking... The idea of the Manchurian Candidate, right? Like, we've read that book. You understand what it is. It's mm-hmm. a, a person that you can sort of just send out there and control. You can shut them down. You can make them do what you want. You can make them wake up, sit down, fight, fight, fight whenever you want. You can make them assassinate people. Uh, this concept was a fever for the American government, that they could have it and that it may already exist in the people who had been in Korea. These drugs that were easily acceptable. And and they weren't even that easily accessible. It was at this point, LSD wasn't really in America. They made it, right? They got it. They found it. Um, They heard about people using it and they they found it. Oh, let's try this. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, so we were not the first we did not create oh, this no, idea. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. We're just trying to protect ourselves. And we're like, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Exactly. So at this point, they're like, oh, my God, like, if they're going to control minds. We need to do it, too. How are we going to do it? How about we, we try to use this mind-altering drug? So <laughs> on November 18th, 1953, a group of 10 scientists met in a cabin located deep in the forests of Maryland. After extended discussions, the participants agreed that to truly understand the value of the drug LSD that they would need to do experiments. The CIA remained keenly aware of how the public would react uh, to any discovery of MKUltra, even if they believed that these programs were essential for national security. And therefore they must remain a tightly guarded secret. So even as they're sitting there talking, they're like, people can never know because the idea is that they want to, give this drug to people who don't know they're getting it. Yeah, well, MK Ultra sounds like a multivitamin. It doesn't sound like something <laughs> that is... So, you know, it, so like, that's not a term that's ever going to be told to people who are involved. But no one will ever know. That term the name? is something much later. They, oh, okay. MK Ultra is like, not the name of LSD. Oh. Or the project in any way until... If- no. Nope. Cool. Not at all. The idea of what MKUltra is is much, much larger than just the LSD experiments. I am going to focus on the LSD experiments for a little bit. And LSD had to do with a lot of those experiments. But the real main focus is really that you need to know that no one who took part in these experiments knew what they were doing. To actually have understanding of taking a mind-altering drug meant that... I'm just fascinated by the name. 
Yeah. It's it's like a military name. So there's like MK Delta. There was like MK Epsilon. There are a few different Ultra, MKs. Yeah. The CIA's initial experiments with LSD were fairly simple, though alarmingly unethical. The agency generally dosed single targets, finding volunteers when they could, and sometimes just slipping the drug into other CIA members' drinks. Over time, though, these LSD experiments grew increasingly elaborate. Perhaps the most notorious of these projects was Operation Midnight Climax. Hello. It sounds so sexy. It is actually a little bit sexy. In 1955, on 225 Chestnut Street, San Francisco, the CIA was devoting substantial attention to decorating a bedroom. George White oversaw the interior renovations. Not because he was a decorator. White actually had a storied career in the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. When the CIA moved into drug experiments, it only it seemed only right that they get someone from the Bureau of Narcotics to mm-hmm. come work for them. In comes George White. In the room, White hung up pictures of French can-can dancers and flowers. He draped lush red bedroom curtains over the windows. He framed a series of posters, black silk mats. For a middle-aged drug bureaucrat, each item evoked sex and glamour. But George White wasn't building a normal bedroom. He was building a trap. White then hired a Berkeley engineering student to install bugging equipment and a two-way mirror. White sat behind the mirror, martini in hand, and waited for the action to begin. Sex workers would lure unsuspecting Johns into the bedroom, where the men would be dosed with LSD and their actions observed by White from beyond the mirror. As payment for their services, the sex workers would receive small amounts of cash, as well as a guarantee that White would intercede should the woman find herself in legal trouble. Though the CIA piloted these safe houses as a stage for testing the effects of LSD, White's interest shifted to another element of his observations, the sex. The San Francisco house became the center of what one writer called the CIA carnal operations. As officials began asking new questions about how to work with sex workers, how they could be trained, and how they could handle state secrets. The agency also analyzed when, in the course of a sexual encounter, information could be best extracted from a source. Eventually, they came to find that it was immediately after ejaculation. But perhaps, unsurprisingly, much of White's actions were driven by pure voyeurism. I quote him when I say, I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyards because it was fun, fun, fun. Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill, cheat, steal, rape, and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the all-highest? Holy shit. So in San Francisco, he had this, it was a trap house. He had these sex workers that worked for him and he lured them in. But he had such power over the situation. And there are people who said that he would drug women who did not agree agree to, to, his, his, terms, ad- yeah. to his terms, not mm-hmm. only to be part of the experiment, but to his own sexual advances. That he drugged one cabaret singer 
because she rejected him. So he put the LSD in her drink before her performance. So she would have a bad performance. Just, you know, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Always hold on to your drinks, ladies. You know, always hold on to your drinks. Always hold on to your drinks. So this is sort of um, one piece of MKUltra, one of their little spots of experimentation. Mm -hmm. MKUltra's mind control experiments generally centered around behavior modification via electroshock therapy, hypnosis, polygraphs, radiation, and a variety of drugs, toxins. Radiation? And chemicals. Yes. The program engaged in many illegal activities, including the use of U.S. and Canadian citizens as unwitting test subjects, which led to controversy regarding its legitimacy. MKUltra used numerous methods to manipulate people's mental states and alter their brain functions, including the surreptitious administration of drugs, such as LSD, and other chemicals. Victims were also subject to hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal, and sexual abuse, as well as other forms of torture. These experiments relied on a range of test subjects, some who freely volunteered, some who volunteered under coercion, and some who had absolutely no idea they were involved in a sweeping defense research program. Bunch of bullshit. From mentally impaired boys at a state school to American soldiers to sexual psychopaths at a state hospital, MKUltra's programs often preyed on the most vulnerable members of society. The CIA considered prisoners especially good subjects, as they were willing to give consent in exchange for extra recreation time or commuted sentences. One such case was that of Whitey Bulger. Bulger was exposed to LSD testing while in a federal prison in Atlanta in exchange for a lighter sentence. For 18 months, Bulger and other inmates were subjected to drug testing, which Bulger described in his notebook as horrible LSD experiences followed by thoughts of suicide and deep depression. You know, he spent, what, you said 18 months? For for 18 months, they gave him... He did this experimentation on him. How long was the sentence? Did he have only two years to go, three years to go? No, he was... um, like for life. He was a pretty bad dude. Mm. I'm like, if you only have five years left, yeah. don't do the experiment. Of course. Just, of course. Just, just stay. Get on good behavior, you know? <sighs> he was so deeply and negatively affected by the project that Bulger compared the program's doctor to Joseph Mengele, the Nazi doctor responsible for horrific human experimentation conducted in the concentration camps. Yeah. Bulger's anxiety was compounded by his inability to ask for help or disclose what he was experiencing, as he feared that telling anyone of his visual and auditory hallucinations would lead to lifelong commitment in an insane asylum. Bulger said of the 1957 tests at the Atlanta Penitentiary where he was serving time that he suffered from total loss of appetite, hallucinating, the room would change shape, hours of paranoia and feeling violent, We experienced horrible periods of living nightmares and even blood coming out of the walls. Guys turning into skeletons in front of me. I saw a camera change into the head of a dog. I felt like I was going insane. Bulger claimed that he had been injected with LSD over the course of those 18 months. Okay. 
So you get like a little bit of an idea what we're dealing with. We're using drugs to control people and conduct experiments into human behavior by unknowing participants. Right? So this is bad shit. Mm -hmm. This is not great. No person should be experimented on without their knowledge. Now, granted, if you make that choice, that's on you for whatever. So even these prisoners, prisoners can't really agree because you have an unfair advantage in offering them lighter sentences and things like that, things that they can't possibly get in any, any other way. Do you way. think they're given side effects? Be like, well, if you do this, this and this and this will happen. Definitely not. Definitely not. So they're um, going there blind I don't actually for an early release. Right. I don't think they're actually uh, told what's actually happening through reading a lot of the different things. It seems like they're told, like, you're going to take part in a defense, an experiment that is for national security. And in return. And in return yeah. for your service yeah. to the United States, we are going to give you a but, lighter sentence. But at the same time, this poor guy is basically watching a guy turn into a skeleton when he delivers his food. You know, it's just, it's, it's warn the person at first. No person deserves it. So it's like, oh, it's like, oh, I can either do this and have all of this shit happen to me. Or I can just be like, you know what? Pass. And I'm going to, I'm going to use my sentence, you know, give them the option at least. Exactly. Like if, so that's the idea of informed consent, Mm -hmm. which MKUltra certainly did not violated consent. No. Okay. So let's go back up north to the Allen Memorial Institute of Montreal. In Montreal. I was waiting for this. Here, Dr. Cameron, with the help of the CIA as part of the MK Ultra project, is developing a different way to control minds. First, these patients were subjected to high voltage electroshock therapy several times a day. After reducing them to a childlike state, at times, stripping them of basic skills, such as how to dress themselves or tie their own shoes, Cameron would attempt to reprogram them by bombarding them with recorded messages for up to 16 hours a day. First came the negative messages. These were about their inadequacies, followed by positive ones, in some cases, repeated up to a half million times. To ensure that his patients were listening, he placed the speakers in football helmets and locked them onto their heads. They would bang their heads against the wall, eventually hurting themselves. So his answer to their self-harm, well, put them in a drug-induced coma, of course, and play the messages without complaint. Along with intensive bouts of electroshock therapy, they were also given injections of LSD. If they refused, they would be further taunted and humiliated, basically telling them that if they didn't do it, that they didn't want to get better, saying things like, you should think about your daughter. Oh, fuck. The woman that I talked about in the beginning story is a real person. Her name was Velma Orkalau. Her granddaughter remembers the ways in which her grandmother was different from other people. She was anxious, twitchy, had a hard time with normal everyday tasks. She was easily angered and took hours to calm down. She remembered how she sat in a room filled with newspapers, magazines, and books. 
though it would take her weeks to read a paper and years to finish a book. She says that her grandmother sat there, surrounded by her failures day after day. This as a result of the experimentation that she underwent at the hands of Dr. Cameron under the guidance of MKUltra. These awful stories don't begin to scratch the surface of MKUltra. The scope of the project was broad, with research undertaken at 80 institutions, including colleges, universities, hospitals, prisons, and pharmaceutical companies. The CIA operated through these institutions using front organizations, although sometimes top officials at these institutions were actually aware of the CIA involvement. It often conducted experiments without the subject's knowledge or consent. In some cases, academic researchers were funded through grants from CIA front organizations, but were unaware that the CIA was using their work for these purposes. Some such experiments ended in the subject's death. The most famous death of an MKUltra participant is that of Frank Olson. And I will not go down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. because I have been down enough of them in this story. But please feel free to look it up and message me. I would love to talk to you about it because it is a truly alarming, alarming story. This is what fear had reduced America to. Covert experimentation on its citizens. Some were its most vulnerable. These are just a few stories, and there are so many more. By the 1960s, the American fear of brainwashing was beginning to linger, as all fads do, and the zeitgeist moves on. But the ongoing struggle to figure out the best way to interrogate and elicit information from prisoners of war continues. Well, now in the 1960s, they're basically using LSD as a drug for pleasure at that point. Right. Things changed. Mm -hmm. But... After 9-11, with the war on terror, the military went back to its records for insight, trying to figure out the best way that they could possibly use to get information from terrorists. Oh, shut They found that the best institutional memory lay in the interrogation experiences of American POWs in Korea. And they reprinted a 1957 chart describing death threats, degradation, sleep deprivation, and worse inflicted by their Chinese captors. And they made that part of the new handbook for the interrogators at Guantanamo. So essentially, our government went back and looked at the interviews from the people who had been held prisoner of war in Korea and used the same tactics in Guantanamo. I don't know if I'm... Because mad or happy about that. Korea never had mind control experiments. I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But what they American had yeah. was the ability to control a person's environment, right? Yeah, and exactly. the way to, um, some of these tactics go back to the Inquisition, waterboarding. That was, that was made popular during the Inquisition and perfected. These, the way that you can control a subject by, Sleep deprivation. Yes. Sensory deprivation. Give them the. And it's like a big circle, right? So, like, you know, 50 years later, Guantanamo were doing the same things that Korea did to our POWs. So, how long is it before we are back in the same position of MKUltra to try to figure out how to control people's minds minds. and how to read their minds? And with advanced technology. 
how far are we going to get this time around? It's, it's, I mean, honestly, they don't need to just trip you around the fucking corner. So it's around the fucking corner. Because you see, we never learn. Fear is the ultimate moral destructor. Whether it is a communist, a terrorist, a homosexual, a Protestant, history has shown that the worst of humanity is present when fear is our only motivation. And that is the story of the battle for mind control and MKUltra. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.